The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. It's six after 10 o'clock. Welcome to the second hour of the show. We're focusing on a year on. This is from the July unrest that we saw uh, around this period last year and basically reflecting on what has taken place a year on. Uh, just a quick look at, you know, what you can expect coming up of the, on, on the hour of the show. Of course, we're going to be in conversation with Mark Haywood, Kanita Hunter and uh, Professor Patrick Bond. In fact, let me just invite them onto the show so that we get straight into the conversation. Mark, good morning to you and thank you so much for making time to be part of this conversation today. Good morning, Kathy. Great to be with you again and and thanks for hosting an important discussion. Professor Patrick Bond, good morning to you as well. Well, thank you so much, Kathy, and thanks also to Mark and and Kenita. Great reporting by Kenita. We all rely on that as we sit in our academic armchairs. Nice to be with you. Sure. And Kwanita will be joining us just a little later within this half hour. When we look back at the July unrest, I I want to uh, just read part of what came out of that report of the expert panel into the July unrest. And and, 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 and it says this. It says um, the analysis by uh, by the panel that the president had put together suggests that a combination of complex, multidimensional and and obscure factors formed the background and led to the outbreak of violence never before seen in our post-apartheid democracy. It led to contestations in the public space, including between senior members of government over how to characterize it. We try to present in this report as much context as possible about the conditions in the country at the time of the outbreak and of the violence. In many ways, you know, that part of what is being said here in the preface of that report is a a good way of explaining why it wasn't just one thing that led to the unrest in, in in July 2021, that there were so many different things that seemed to be the perfect melting pot. Mark, your your view, I think, reflecting over the past year? Thanks, Cathy. Well, let me pick up from, from where you left off. It's true to say that it wasn't just one thing. Uh, you know, that there were hidden and not so hidden hands who were instigating, uh, trying to set fire to uh, a very uh, uh, society that is very prone to, to burning. But I, I think there is one thing that underlines and explains, underlays and explains so much of what is happening in our society, and that is the inequality the growing levels of poverty, the breakdown of crucial public services around health and education, the growth of unemployment to the worst levels that you will find anywhere in the world, and very little indication for the poor of this country that there is a will and that there are serious plans to address that social crisis. 
So you have a tinderbox, which is made up of those factors that I have just talked about now. Our society is, is, is untenable. It's not sustainable on the basis on which it is currently operating in inverted commas. And into that, you can get people who come with hidden political uh, agendas to destabilize the society in order to advance their own material and factional interests. And, and, and I'd finish just by saying this, Kathy, which is the thing that makes me most frightened is that I don't think anything has changed in a year in terms of those conditions that I've just described. And in fact, the report that you quoted from that was commissioned by the president precisely says that these issues have to be addressed and they have to be addressed fast because if they're not addressed, there will be a repeat. And what we see now is that there are, again, forces that are trying to, to, to set the fire against, whether, again, whether it's Operation Dadula, whether it's relatives, the daughter of, of, of uh, Jacob Zuma, uh, they're trying damn hard to make that fire burn again. And that, that I think. All right. It looks like we've lost Mark on the line there. We'll try and get him back up. But uh, Professor Patrick Bond, let me me bring you in here. Um, When it comes to, again, the context of this violence, Mark talks about these mysterious unseen, unknown hands that effectively were responsible for, for fanning the fires. One of the big questions, of course, that has 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 always been there is around how the violence was characterized how it was described insurrection or not insurrection thanks uh, for uh, picking this up it's a structure versus agency problem as we academics say in other words there are some deep forces marx described the unemployment poverty the world's worst inequality um, the fact that the the social grants have been declining uh, when uh, set against the cost of living. They're, they're very much lower. In fact, the 350 rand uh, had been, just been dropped entirely uh, and was put back on by President Ramaphosa at the end of July last year. Because of this, really, he, he kind of understood that there was a structural problem. Agency, that's the second. That is, who's doing what? Here it's muddier because I, mean, I think Mark's right. I mean, Operation Dadula has come up and political parties have emerged and indeed the ANC has endorsed the xenophobic narrative because of um, their desire for this distraction from the deeper problems and, you know, blame the other, find a way to um, to take this uh, fury in the society and drive it in a direction that is uh, amenable, say, to, you know, Dudazani, Dudazili, uh, Zuma's uh, promotion of their father's interests and to make it seem that their father's jailing was the real, it was a catalyst, but, you know, that's the, the, the deep cause and that the, pro, the protests were uh, pro-Zuma and they loved Zuma and hence that was the, the reason for it. So those are the kind of arguments that I heard a bit too much from President Zuma and then we had no evidence uh, to to basically identify aside from some social media uh, sort of, you know, let's say, uh, um, you know, sort of social media influencers, nothing that really showed the so-called mastermind at work. Don't take that from me alone. The, the head of the national prosecuting authorities, investigating directorate uh, in March this year, her name, Andrea Johnson. And she said, I have to say these statements about masterminds 
planning conspiracy didn't come from the police in terms of investigators or the National Prosecuting Authority. I think if you recall, these statements came from politicians to it, the president and minister of justice, Ronald Lamola. We have to go with the evidence. So these cases in court are based on evidence. People can say there were conspiracies. That's not what we are able to prove. That's not the evidence we have. So that's a quote from Andrew Johnson. I think we have to take that seriously. President Ramaphosa is prone to try to distract us, to find some way to get away from the structural dilemmas that Mark set out and to say, well, it's just some well-orchestrated economic sabotage. That was his phrase, a failed insurrection, but he hasn't shown a single uh, uh, arrest that aside from a few people he you know, ar had arrested, but they got off on bail of 3,000 Rand, 5,000 Rand. So let's not talk conspiracy theory until we have some evidence, right? And, and and that's probably, you know, the, the greatest difficulty, Professor Bond, is that in the wake of that aftermath uh, of, of that violence, we had such strong language from a, a, a government perspective used to describe uh, what had happened. But nothing that followed in the months after almost seemed to meet the tone of what government was saying was wrong. And that is is also highly problematic because what it has created then, it seems to me, uh, it, has, it is an entire gap of, of accountability. That's right. And unfortunately, that narrative continues. And I'm, uh, I'm sure Mark's back with us. I hope Kanita, her colleagues also, Jeff Wicks, Kavil Singh, have done such great thinking about this complicated mix. But if you come up with an analysis that leads to a diagnosis and then has some prescriptions, and those prescriptions are, well, arrest more masterminds, and then you don't do it, then Mark's right. You're just setting yourself up for uh, the next crisis because you really haven't either done good analysis and found a proper diagnosis and found solutions. You've distracted the society. I think I would blame President Ramaphosa and a few people around him for doing just that to uh, get away from the need for a genuine redistribution of wealth in the world's most unequal country, which could probably put some sort of uh, solve on these terrible wounds or stop this powder keg from exploding mm. again. Mm. We'll talk about those conditions shortly. Kanita Hunter, let me bring her in. She is the author of Eight Days in July, Inside the Zuma Unrest that Set South Africa Alight. Kanita, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you very much for having me. So one of the first issues we're reflecting on is the question of insurrection or not insurrection. A year mm -hmm. on, is this question answered any more clearly than perhaps what it was a year ago? So the thing is, Kathy, I constantly maintain that when we are bogged down by language, we don't uh, unpack the real issue at play. The causes of, of what happened... The, the 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 culpability of who should be held accountable for what happened, um, and more importantly, how do we move forward as a country? Because we are now debating technical terms of whether it's an insurrection or not an insurrection. Because the the real question is, what do you call a section of the governing party using the failures of society, weaponizing it for their own political objectives? by trying to instigate uh, a mass social unrest to, uh, against a sitting president. 
And so that, that I think, the language fails us in that way to what adequately describes the bizarreness of what we saw last July. But then it shifts our focus on what we need to be uh, 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 focusing on, and that is on the lives lost, the economy that was jeopardized, and the fact that it was recommended that cabinet take responsibility for what happened and there has just not been any responsibility taken. Mm. Are the two mutually exclusive, Kanita? I don't know if it's mutually exclusive, but I think that what it does, or what we do very well as South Africans, is we become obsessed about one thing and we and we and we and we ignore the other issues at play. Um, and, and and the reality of it is, what happened in July was was unprecedented. It was completely, completely, uh, uh, you know, sort of bizarre in so many ways, and it and it and it exposed the cracks in our rainbow nation. It the the, the veneer of the South Africa post democracy uh, was completely broken and shattered. And the irony of it is that at the nexus of that was the same uh, uh, liberation movement that that uh, that that brought us this this, this notion of, of 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 a rainbow nation, weaponizing their own failures uh, for 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 political uh, 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 um, point scoring and 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 motive. And so I think that you know a year on, there, there still is this level of, you know, what was that? Especially since there has not been any concerted effort for culpability, for holding people accountable, even if it may just be on a disciplinary process within the state. Who let this happen, you know? Um, and we've we've had one formidable report, one report on 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 the, on the incident uh, that happened in July for Professor Sandy Africa, and and that report sketches out you know the failures in the security uh, uh, strata and, and and the failures of the state security apparatus. But but the irony of it is that one year later, not much has done to fix the very the very obvious loopholes that led. To what happened in July, the you know the, the 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 easy things that could be that could be fixed. If you ask questions around, uh, you know, has there been uh, a, a change in the state security agency? Has there been more sittings of the National Security Council? Because we know the president failed in his job to hold National Security Council meetings. Um, uh, you know, the, the 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 president will say to you, yes, look, I've appointed a new police commissioner. Look, I've appointed a new director general of the state security agency. But is that enough? Um, and 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 there was a recommendation that the entire system of the state security apparatus need to, needs to be overhauled in so many ways. And so it's a year later. There isn't that urgency to learn the lessons. And the reason why we need to learn that lessons from July, in in, in so far as this, right? I'm I'm zooming into a very specific thing, Kathy, which is the failures of the state security uh, apparatus and law enforcement, um, which which answers the the question is why was it allowed to happen? Because that entire part of the state was responsible to safeguard its citizens completely failed in their duty, right? And so it's so important uh, for us to realize how, how as we try to make sense of the genesis of the players involved, of how was it allowed to happen, who was culpable, etc., to understand the threat that it can happen again, that, 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 that it's so easy to weaponize 
the, the problems in South Africa of unemployment, inequality, poverty, apartheid, spatial planning, for any nefarious reason, because there has not been uh, uh, any uh, concerted effort to, 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 to learn the lessons and to fix the gaps in that regard. And so we are, a year later, we are more vulnerable for a repeat of what happened in July, and it could be for anything. It could be in support of a of a corrupt politician. It could be uh, uh, motivated by criminal intent. It could be motivated by any any nefarious intent and motive. And I think that's what makes me worried one year later. Mm. Mark, let me bring you in here uh, again. I hope you can hear me better this time, Mark. I can hear you clearly. I hope you can hear me. Yes, yes, I can hear you loud and clear. You know, I'm curious about, again, this this question of how we classify the, the the violence that we saw and and you know the, the, the taking a look at that at that Sandy Africa report, it's not very explicit on what its own findings around that unrest is. But when you look at the amount of time that they have spent unpacking the different themes and the different context that they believe, you know, created an environment in South Africa that made that unrest possible, it says to me that in order to truly prevent the events of July 2021, the approach needs to be one that is more holistic as a society. And so, yes, there's the question of politics, but it's not just about the politics. Yes, there's a question of poverty and inequality, but it's not just the poverty. It's not just the inequality. It's not just the poverty and it's not just the inequality, but that is a major, major, major factor. Mm. That's what creates the instability that exists, that is now deeply, deeply embedded in our society and which, as Katina just said, can give rise to a repeat episode. You know, you, know, you say, how do we classify it? And Katina says to you, well, you know, just talking, is it insurrection or isn't in, insurrection? It, it, is, is a, it, it distracts us from the essence of what was happening. It's hard to classify because it wasn't one thing that you can just say it was this. It was a whole number of things. You know, it was hunger. It was desperation. It was a loss of uh, value and respect for a rule of law that doesn't protect poor people. But it was also opportunism. It was also political instigation. It was all of those factors. But, But it could not have happened in the way that it happened if we haven't, in our country, so terribly neglected the lives of the vast majority of our of people who live in this country. And that is what we continue to do. And so when you try to address that crisis by mainly looking at the security forces, the police, the role of political factions and in instigating, all of which is necessary, but you actually don't do very much to look at the fundamental inequality underneath, then you're going to make an error. So, you know, we have people running government departments uh, that are crucial to social stability, like Minister Mozzoledi running the Home Affairs Department, who are incapable of managing complex government departments. As I said earlier on, our health system is falling apart. As Patrick Bond said, you know, the government has 
in its hands uh, the possibility of introducing a one-off wealth tax that could bring about some redistribution of the gross inequalities of wealth in our country, but has chosen for many, many years not to do that, despite getting recommendations on it from the Davis Tax Commission. The government has in its hands the opportunity of introducing a basic income grant, which has been recommended to it by an expert panel that the Department of Social Development put together that included the independent, uh, the ILO. It chooses, it chooses not to do that. It leaves it in the hands of a minister and a department that is corrupted and mismanaged so that people don't get their grants. Their, their meager, measly 350 grant hasn't been paid for, 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 for three months. You know, it, it's almost as if the people who are condemning the insurrection are allowing the dynamite for another insurrection to be rebuilt into the system by their own set of omissions and by their failure to really show care about 75% of the population of this country. And, 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 and the difficulty of, of where we find ourselves now, Mark, is the fact that, uh, you know, Kanita talks about the fact that this report said cabinet, you know, the entire cabinet should be held culpable and accountable for what happened. But what exactly that accountability means or looks like beyond that uh, that session that we had in parliament where there was an acknowledgement of the fact that cabinet must be held accountable, nothing much has, has happened. No, that because there is unfortunately little to no accountability within the political system, little to no accountability. Nobody says, okay, the finger pointed at me and I accept that I failed. I will step down and I will allow somebody better to run this department. People hold in until one day they are they are forced out. But on the other hand, Kathy, where is accountability? Well, you know, if you're a poor person and you're shoplifting, you're accountable. Mm. You, you, you fill our prisons. Uh, at, at that level, there's, a, there's, sadly, there, there is accountability. You know, the rule of the law, law works against poor people to some extent, but it doesn't work against, against the political elite. And this is, this is what fuels the discontent. This is what fuels social incohesion rather than, than cohesion. I mean, I'm amazed that things have held together so far when I just look at what exists in our society, often with, with you know, with, within close cheek by jowl with each other, huge levels of poverty next to the huge levels of wealth. It's abnormal, and it can't hold. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue reflecting on the July unrest. Professor Bond, I want to uh, bring bring this one to you specifically, just on this question of um, a cabinet needing to take accountability. One of the recommendations that was made was um, that cabinet needed to drive a national response plan that demonstrates its own willingness to be held accountable and to hold public office bearers who failed in their responsibilities to account, it must also give regular feedback on what is happening to ensure that those who planned and instigated the violence are being brought to book. I don't know, but but none of that has, has happened to date. Just uh, moving the secure, state security agency to uh, President Ramaphosa's 
sort of personal domain and uh, replacing a few of the security cluster, uh, but not uh, and as well as the, 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 the police commissioner. But to me, the biggest problem in cabinet actually is one minister. His name, Enoch Gorenguana, because he's the one cutting the budget, which is contributing to this underlying tension. And so many of the other cabinet members, uh, the ministers would say, for example, if you're in health, we're in a pandemic. But from uh, Finance Minister Tito Mbueni in October 2020, amplified by uh, Minister Gorenguana, we're getting a 20% real cut over a three-year period in health budget. And if you're the social development minister, you're looking at a 25% real decline. If you're in basic education, it's 14%. These are from the uh, uh, three-year budget uh, projections from last November or October. Now, these are the sorts of cuts that to me represent overarching uh, blame uh, attributable to making life worse for ordinary people in the treasury. And we also know that the treasury has been very generous it allowed a massive increase in what's called um, uh, uh, licit financial outflow. They relaxed the exchange controls in February to allow over 3 trillion Rand to escape the country by uh, reducing from 70 to 50% how much the big institutional investors keep in the country. Um, and in addition, we're about to be gray listed because we're not regulating the uh, illicit financial flow. So put onto a, a sort of a global watch list of, of treasuries and reserve banks that aren't doing their job in stopping rich people and big institutions, big corporates from taking money out. To me, that's, you know, the accountability that we're often not uh, talking enough about. Uh, what do you think? Sorry, I was just thinking about, about what you're saying and, uh, you know, linking it to how the, the bigger problem, of course, for government to try and solve is to improve the state of governance and improve the living conditions of people, which unfortunately have been on the decline, especially if you're poor and, and you're black in this country. And it mm. seems to me that it's easier to evade that responsibility then make a couple of moves here and there that says well things are working better now but without dealing with with, with that fundamental issue oh you're right and the band-aid that uh, both mark and i have suggested be you know kind of considered for um at least stopping the starvation and desperation is a basic income grant which until um this year had been better administered uh, through sasa and and also than the post office until it began to break down. Unfortunately, there was one company, Cash Paymaster Services. It had to be, um, frankly, executed. It, it went bankrupt because it was uh, ripping off people by doing debit orders and putting, for example, on six-year-old girls cell phone contracts and microfinance loans. It was a, um, a mostly World Bank investment uh, strategy called financial inclusion. But that aside, I think um, the uh, cash grants are the sort of ameliorative strategy that if you're a smart uh, capitalist uh, manager like Cyril Ramaphosa, then you, you put one on uh, to stop this kind of uh, unrest. And he did that in uh, late July, put on the 350. But you know, it's shrinking in value. He hasn't increased it since it was first introduced during the economic lockdown in, in uh, May of 2020. And I think the advocacy problem is uh, one that Mark didn't mention, Kanita hasn't mentioned, but I think they'd agree with me that if you do have an operation to doula, which is a sort of right-wing xenophobic reaction, if you do see 
um, the sort of Zoomites doing uh, radical economic transformation, talk left, walk right, mobilization. What that reflects is that the left is pretty weak. Uh, so in 30 years ago, when I moved to South Africa, we had civics and the civic movements were connected to the United Democratic Front and the churches, labor, women's groups, the youth and students. And you really felt, uh, if you can recall, 30 years ago, of a, a sort of real purposeful progressive movement in the townships and uh, in the shack settlements. And we don't really have that. We've had one or two really good examples, Abishlali, Lassam Jindolo in Durban, a few others. But, you know, if we had a, a more progressive a set of civil society forces that could uh, harness that energy and that mm. anger and ensure that there is a huge mass movement for a basic income grant or other uh, social policies, we'd be in a better position. I think we have to look in the mirror. Those of us, I'm at the University of Johannesburg. We have uh, a center for social change, uh, uh, various research centers, extremely good scholars. And I'll be frank, we haven't got our uh, head around why it's so hard to take these so-called popcorn protests that pop up all the time, service delivery protests, and marshal a big national movement. Maybe from Daily Maverick, Mark would uh, see much better. He's, he covers all this amazing activism. But we have to admit, it's been very atomistic, sporadic, inward-looking, and at the worst case, xenophobic, or in the case a, a year ago, looting, rioting without any purpose whatsoever, aside from just expressing that desperation. Kanita, mm. uh, do you think that there has been that deep acknowledgement from the South African government about the cost of inequality, the impact of inequality in this country. Because again, it speaks to the prioritization of social interventions like the basic income grant that uh, Professor Bond is, is talking about. Absolutely not. I mean, we just have to fast forward uh, uh, to what happened during the floods, right? And it was a uh, you know, double whammy for the residents of KwaZulu-Natal and Durban specifically, where you've been through the unrest. The people have lost so much during the unrest. Months later, or almost a year later, uh, there's so much of devastation in relation to this, this natural disaster that, that unfolds. There's floods, uh, you know, they're facing the the, 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 the human consequence of, of, of the uh, climate crisis, and you saw just a nonchalant government uh, who up until now does the bare minimum um, and, 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 you know, ex- expects uh, society to heal itself. I think the biggest lesson of the July unrest was how resilient we are as a people. And you look at it specifically in KwaZulu-Natal that that there was some sort of recovery in spite of government. You know, government didn't do much despite the fact that pockets of the that a lot of what happened was failures of the government to do its job, which is protected citizens and their property. Um, and, 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 and there was this resilience. You saw people coming out and protecting their, 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 their properties. You also saw recovery in terms of aid to the poor, uh, uh, so citizens doing for citizens. But that resilience is challenged in so many ways. And, and months later, you have you know, another disaster and, 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 and you and you realize that that in South Africa you you will be consistently punished for your poverty. And and that's an easy government. That's a caring this is the so called caring government of the Ramaphosa administration. And I think what what happened during July and what we allowed to happen during July of a of a president pontificating from the, the you know, from a lectern 
uh, uh, talking to the nation, but without giving any specifics and real accountability, was what set the tone for this consistent kind of you are on you know situation where poor people are literally on their own, where the anti-government in KwaZulu-Natal can leave mothers and children uh, in the middle of winter. Uh, to 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 sleep uh, in in you know uh, in community halls with no plan uh, in relation to their to their uh, 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 you know to, um, to 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 their housing scenario and so so I I I, I think about you know uh, a lot of of where we are as a country from from July last year until we are now and I and I and I feel like if anything it's getting worse if anything. July was the taste of how uncaring uh, this government really is. All right. Um, and 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 what worries me is that we almost All right. uh, Kanita, know, swallowed it. We'll continue with you after this quick break. Apologies. Sure. Here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. SAFM. 105.5 FM in Tabazimbi. The SABC News Portal is your one-stop digital platform for all the news you need. Stay connected with the latest and breaking stories. Listen to all SABC radio stations live, including podcasts. And also watch the SABC News channel with clips and live streams of all the big news events. Simply download the SABC News app on your smartphone from the Play or App Store. SABC News, independent and impartial. Timber, is this you, Mfwet? Yeah, yimlo. I finally did it. I bought this baby at the auction, so now you don't have to wake up early to pick me up. That's amazing, Mebra. With African Bank, you too can get a personal loan of up to 285,000 Rand with fixed and flexible terms of up to 72 months. Apply today. Go online or call us. African Bank is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. African Bank. Audacity to believe. Did you know that you can report police brutality and misconduct? Really? Where? At the Independent Police Investigative Directorate, also known as IPED. They are an independent body that carries out investigations against the police in an objective and impartial manner. Wow! How do I contact them? IPED has offices across the country and you can dial their toll-free number on 0800 or email them at complaints at iPad.gov.za. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation this morning reflecting on a year on since the July unrest. Kanita, sorry I had to cut you off a bit there for our break. Let me give you a chance uh, to finish before I go to the phone lines. Yeah, but 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 you know, there's just one point that I wanted to make, uh, Kathy. Is is there was a a concession in the Sandy Africa report that what happened in July was a spillover of ANC factionalism uh, to the state, and and this we see it happen every day. We see it in relation to ESCOM crisis. We see it in relation to social grants. We see it in so many of the crises plaguing the country, where the, the ruling party uh, cannot c- control its, its divisions and factionalism, and and you know. In internal backstabbing, and that has a direct ramifications 
for uh, uh, for, um, for us as ordinary South Africans. And so what July showed us is that uh, this, the, you know how far the party would go to hold the country ransom uh, 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 at the, you know. Uh, because of their own weaknesses as a political party. Mm, mm. And, and, and that's also where part of the greatest dangers lies, because we know just how heated the fighting of the different factions in, in the party are going to be, especially in a year like what is an elective conference year. Uh, so a very important point to make there. Mandla in Newcastle, good morning. Good morning to you, Katie. How are you? I'm all right, Mandla. I'm okay, so no, thanks uh, very much for the very interesting uh, topic uh, this morning. Look, I'm not going to be long, but uh, as long as, you know, our uh, party that is leading this country has got people who've got a hybrid interest or dual interest, we will never realize any changes in, the, uh, in this country. You know, because they are the ones now who are the most culprits, who are covering up, who are threatening the changes that should be taking place in 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 this country. And and Manka, and how how would you describe those dual interests uh, that you I talk mean, about? What mm, are they? Mm. Yeah, like uh, you would find that uh, maybe like in the coal mine uh, where people died in Marikana mine, mine, the sitting president. I don't know whether even now he, he has got an interest in the even then he had an interest and he was still a politician. And it is such behavior, it, it is such precedence that is going to make things difficult for them to press and enforce, you know, policies and laws that will, you know, like the trucking business uh, as well. You know, people there, same thing, you know, there is this dual interest I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm well received or understood by this hybrid or interest. If you are a politician, remain a politician, then mm-hmm. stay out of, of business affairs because you will have this conflicting interest. That is why they don't feel even a pinch of a man down there. You know, our people are dying. Our people are struggling. You know, yesterday there is a guy who came at my home. He said, my brother, can I, you know, do your garden? At four o'clock, I, I thought to him, look, if it's already in the afternoon, how can you start work from, you know? He said, you know, I left home six o'clock looking for the job. And now the kids at home are waiting for me to come back with at least a bread. I had to do, a, I had to go and do some small groceries for him. And such said to look, my brother, come back tomorrow. But that was saying to me, this is the stage of what our country has, you know, become. So our politicians, and especially the ANC, they are the most culprits of whatever. They need to account on what is taking place in this country, whether they like it. Even their new angel today, our president, I don't see any difference from him from his uh, previous, you know, uh, leaders. He is the same. All right. All right, Mandla. Okay, Thank thanks, th- thanks for that. And yeah, just how you've described it, I think, paints such a picture of how many South Africans are, are, are grappling and, and struggling just to make ends meet on a day-to-day basis. Jeffrey in Cape Town, good morning. Uh, good morning, Katie. Uh, yeah, Katie, I was there when this routine was happening on July last year. 
um, I was taking a, a, a ride here, the 10 kilometers ride to a warehouse in Gunubi. When I get there, the people of that warehouse was not there. They was at a, um, LG warehouse, busy routine, because the security tell the manager, like, the people will never come in, so I will not be offloaded. But as I was standing there, everybody was running with cheese and everything. Even that warehouse of uh, LG, it was having cheese and, you know, Adidas. And I didn't even know they can they store all that stuff there. Um, but uh, then they start, when they were finished with LG, they burn it out. And then they go to the sugar, way, the sugar spot warehouse. From that one, they came to, to put that. And they, they loot it, but that one was not burned out. Then they came to the one where I was. And I took my truck and I left. And as I left, two cars were following me. But all the securities ran away there. They were, there was two soccer. They, 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 how can I say, they drive through the gate and inside the warehouse with the two forklifts. And from there, people are just storming in. And uh, so they, uh, to all those warehouses, they have done the same. From there, I drive to the airport. At the airport, there's a lot of there's trucks stop there and a lot of trucks were there. So these people were, there was a group, a lot who wanted to come and loot those trucks. And uh, the drivers there, uh, they were so traumatized. Even the one which I watched, we were two drivers. He couldn't, he just went out to urinate and come back. He, that guy, he couldn't done anything for himself because he was shocked. And then, uh, uh, let's say then, we didn't have food. So there was a party which came there to us. And he said, 80 rand of loaf bread. And we buy that cake, that bread, like sweet cakes. And you couldn't get money, no way. Mm. You see, yeah, it was very tough for us. And then Thursday, they told us, hey, if you are not going to run to to to, to, uh, to, to uh, what is it, uh, start, the people of Cape that they will not have uh, food. So we went to load mini meal, then we came back to, to with them to to, uh, to Cape that end. Of, of course, then, Jeffrey, one of the things that, that has happened, you know, uh, after that, that that unrest is, is the fact that we seem to just have moved on so quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but the drivers, their lives were, were serious. They were in, in serious trouble there because mm. they wanted that, 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 that the cargo. And me, you know, I was, was four days, which I I was just eating that loaf of bread. And what we, I finished it that day. But on Thursday, it was on my third day, which I did not eat. So I went, I grabbed my first meal, it was in Kronstadt, and those people didn't believe me. When I told them, hey, this is my first meal, man, there's no food for the guy there, especially the truck driver. But there was a, a, a bakery bucky who came there to the, to the airport. He sold bread to, the, to those people, and everybody from outside, they came because of the, the, the safest place, because there's an army there. And there's the Indians, there's some, some, some of them who got machine guns. And they were standing on the bridge to save the people who were out of who living in KwaZulu Natal. So right. they were the ones who was helping everybody there. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, thanks for calling in and just for sharing your reflections of a time where, uh, you know, you were coming under threat as a, a truck driver and just some of what you needed to do in order to survive. Colin in Cape Town, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to your guest. Uh, Kathy, do you know something? <clears throat> if Zuma never went to prison, that would never have happened. This thing was planned. It was on social media, WhatsApps. It spread like wildfire. Today, 
social media can spread so quick to communities and things like that. Everybody's got a cell phone. The security forces weren't, and the police were caught with their pants down. This was orchestrated by Zuma's alliance. And another thing too is, your you, uh, um, human rights, they always come and talk about poverty and this and that and that and that. If they knew how many luxury cars and taxis were at the scene of those crimes, loading up appliances, not food, and lots of people were loading up electrical appliances, TVs, and things like that. Poor people don't eat those things. Mm. I think the one guy, taxi driver, got seven years now last week because he was loaded with appliances. So they can't talk about poverty, poverty, and uh, service delivery. The human rights must go and do their job properly and, and find out who was behind this. And, of course, they stay away from that. They'll never investigate that. But, but, Colin, but, Colin, do you not think that it was just part of those that also uh, were being opportunistic in the moment? Not that it was right, yeah, but they were being what, opportunistic. What I'm talking about, what I'm talking about, this was planned a couple of days mm. to make that place ungovernable. The eyes were all on Zuma going to prison. So this was a third force behind it. The human rights must go dig deeper and do their job properly with the police and find out who started this and how it started. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, Thank Colin. Thank you very much. Heard you loud and clear. Uh, Tulani, you'll be our final caller for this morning so I can give our guests also an opportunity to respond. Good morning to you. Good morning, Katie, and good morning to your listeners. Mm. Uh, this is quite a very interesting uh, topic and it is uh, going to cause academics and all other people see it for some time to come. But it is undeniable that a Zuma incarceration was a trigger. And um, it came when already the country is on a ticking time bomb. And that risk is still in existence. So we can try to shy away from socioeconomic challenges, but it's a risk waiting to explode any other time. Last year, it was a Zuma incarceration issue. Maybe in the future, it will be petrol prices and diesel prices. It will be load shedding. It will be everything. Now, it means whatever that we do, but we need not to take our eyes away from dealing with inequality, unemployment, and poverty. We can come up with whatever theory, but as long as we're in the country which there is an island of opulence and a sea, a huge sea of, of poverty. We are going to be a risk nation, and not even a state apparatus can be able to manage a mob which has gone unruly and has undertaken to participate in civil disobedience. It was proof. Even army, SEPs, whosoever could not manage. So while there's still relative stability, it is important that both private sector and public sector led by government, we need to be seized with trying to come up with strategies. Real strategies, how do we open up the economy? How do we... Yes, 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 thank you. Mm, All right. Here now you want to cut me. Oh, yes. (laughs)
Okay, Tulani. <laughs> Tulani out in Mkwanya Kute. Yeah, so, sorry, Tulani, I could hear that, you know, you're still quite fired up, but I think the point, um, you know, the point you've made has has been clear in terms of how really different sectors of society need to be vested in a solution. Mark, let me give you a chance just to respond to uh, some of the thoughts shared by our callers and your concluding remarks. Thanks, Cathy. I think Tulani's spoken to me. At it all. Uh, the question is, what do we do to narrow the inequalities in our society and to strengthen institutions of state? We've got to get practical. I've mentioned it already today. A once-off wealth tax on the top 1% of wealth in this country, the introduction of a basic income grant, uh, allowing competent people to uh, govern our hospitals and other critical government departments rather than continuing to keep uh, cadres, people who are are uh, loyal to one faction or another. It's not that we, we lack capability in this country. It's just that we don't allow capability into the system. My message would be that the country is in a dire and desperate and dangerous situation, but we can fix it if we do the right thing, but we have to get onto it urgently. Professor Bond? Yes, thanks. I just reiterate that the conspiracy theory that President Mandela trotted out that it's a well-orchestrated economic sabotage really applies more to, you know, Karanguana sabotaging poor people's lives with the austerity regime and the, the you know, his very, very favorable treatment of, of rich people. Then it comes to the, whether there are, as Colin says, all these, you know, kind of masterminds and they're just hiding away, ready to, to, to strike again because the will be right. I don't think so. I think President Ramaphosa um, has mandated that they be hunted down and they couldn't find any. We will have some trials coming up. Uh, there were quite a few looters. We don't know exactly how many loot, uh, uh, were, were, uh, were arrested ultimately, but at least a couple have been given multi-year jail terms. The Phoenix murders of about 36, mostly Kwamashu residents, those come up later in the year. So there is a bit of court action expected, but Frankly, I think uh, Mark's absolutely correct that um, until we see a sort of a progressive force in the townships, shack settlements, in the communities, really take um, a, a major, so let's say, programmatic approach to this and create a, a united front, it will be up to a state to to try to you know throw some uh, you know so, some some money around, and that would be the th- at least at three fifty, hopefully up to fifteen hundred around, which is really the poverty line. And since um, the pressures aren't yet great enough to do that, I do fear that we'll see more explosions. People, by the way, just were, were looting um, just on April 12, 13, 14, right after the the main Durban rain bomb, mm. uh, because I think they realize quite uh, uh, correctly that they're not really going to be prosecuted for that. Yeah, and, and that becomes a, a, another challenge, right, where people know that there's going to be more, no accountability. It creates, um, you know, that, that gap for greater opportunism and criminality. Kanita, let me wrap it up with you. Hmm. I think, you know, we, we just have to, we have to realize that there's, 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 as, as uh, South Africans, we cannot just accept the failures of, of, of uh, the state and the ANC government is just to navigate I think the one year since the July Andes is a good moment for us to, to 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 just you know understand that we were this country was held ransom by what was going on in the ANC, and that our problems are not being solved. In fact, it's actually being uh, deepened by uh, uh, um, 
the ANC self-serving uh, attitude, and 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 that is quite quite humongous for us to just appreciate and uh, uh, and to deal with. All right, Kwanita Hunter, thanks for coming on and for being part of this program. It's 11 o'clock. Let me go over to the news desk. And Musa has your latest news.